You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And join me for this episode is Will Salmon from The Athletic, running on a little bit of fumes from the the trip from Miami to Gainesville. Uh, overnight so will i can't uh, thank you enough man for uh, the, the dedication and everything it takes to uh, uh get here on uh, on this episode of gators breakdown game's over you do all your post game work and uh drive up to gainesville david man it's the last game of the season i'm not gonna miss out absolutely absolutely so here we go you know of course the uh the season started against miami and then ended in Miami, uh, where the Gators uh, didn't have their best showing in the Orange Bowl, but didn't need it as the Gators defeated Virginia 36 to 28. And we'll get into all the specifics in just a bit. But, um, you know, Will, it was a up and down night for Florida, winning the halftime, feeling good, uh, even when team wasn't playing their best, but really could just could never really put the Cavaliers away, but Florida did what good teams do and won their 11th game of the season when they could, even when they couldn't put it all together. Yeah, it wasn't great, uh, especially defensively. It was not a great performance. But, you know, you never really thought that they were going to lose the game. At least I didn't feel that Florida was ever going to lose. I never felt like uh, that they were about to lose the game or that they were in jeopardy of of really letting it slip away completely. It just wasn't as crisp as I think a lot of people wanted it to be or figured it would be. This was a game that pretty much always was – you know, 13, 14 point favorite for Florida. And before a kickoff, they rose to about 15 and a half points. So people were expecting a blowout, not exactly what occurred, but, um, but it was pretty clear that Florida was the better team. It's just that uh, what we kind of thought may happen, which was Bryce Perkins and Virginia's offense, maybe having um, some success moving the ball, particularly in the past game against Florida. Uh, that was kind of like the, the only thing that I thought may have happened that, was going to sort of be a negative for Florida and ended up happening that way. Um, And that's what kept Virginia in the game, of course, because there was just no way that uh, Florida was going to be stopped by, by Virginia. Uh, Virginia was not going to stop Florida uh, when, when Florida had the ball and just did not have enough to to keep up. And we knew that was probably going to be the case more often than not. If these two, if these two teams were going to hook up. Absolutely. And and with that, uh, ESPN Stats and Info put out this stat that Dan Mullen is the first coach to win a BCS slash New Year's Six game uh, bowl game in each of his first two seasons at a school. Gator fans, um, I know uh, searching around on Twitter, looking around on Twitter last night, this game itself, not necessarily happy with the performance, but I'm a big majority out there, the Gator fans, still happy with how it played out, getting the 11th win of the season. Dan Mullen getting 21 wins in his first two seasons and you know putting it together where you know Florida's in the spotlight now. Florida's a fun team to watch. Florida 
uh, is not a laughing stock of the SEC of the of the country anymore because of what Dan Mullen's done these last two years. Well, yeah, man, it's like it's, you put that game in a vacuum, and it's like, yeah, it's not pretty. But when you look at it the way that you just did, and sort of like the big picture view, um, it's it's really hard to kind of just say like, okay, yeah, it was it was sloppy and and this or that. It's really hard to kind of nitpick it because. And it's a bowl game, you know, and that's that's usually going to happen a lot of times. People aren't always going to be playing that crisp style that you want after a month or so off. And we kind of saw that with Kyle Trask a little bit early on where, you know, for whatever reason, his touch just wasn't really there. Um, his feel for the game or, or the pressure just wasn't what it was after, uh, you know, in the middle of November or at the end of November where he was playing three or four games in a row or at least um, didn't have uh, the wide of a gap that he had in this occurrence, of course. So that that's just, you know, nitpicking, I guess. But uh, but I'm with you, man. It's like you, if you look at it from the big picture, the larger scale uh, perspective, uh, you got to like where you're, where Florida is at if you're a Florida fan uh, because it just bodes well for your future because, again, there's not nobody else that has done what Dan Mullen has done um, in getting to uh, – in winning the two New Year's Six Bowl games at, at a new school. Um, that says a lot. And, and you know, he, he did kind of beat it uh, – beat a dead horse with it, but it, it is hard to do what, what they just did, and that is gets that 11th win after you won 10 – the previous year, uh, particularly in the SEC. So, you know, that does, although it gets beaten, like I said, uh, to death a little bit with Dan, uh, because that was something that he just continued to to talk about throughout the whole year, starting at the beginning of the year. Um, you do got to give them their respect and got to give them their credit for actually doing that and pulling it off. Yeah, absolutely. And you really couldn't ask for a better start uh, under Mullen in his first two seasons. You know, even even with an eleven win season, it still felt close to even more than that. Uh, there's a strong foundation to build on. Uh, there's the realization that Florida isn't where they ultimately want to be, but uh, I think Gator fans can feel pretty comfortable about where the program is in getting there. Uh, there is a lot yeah. to feel good about. Yeah, I think that's like the biggest compliment, right? Is that after the after these two successful seasons, it's like okay, the expectation now is back to it's not good. I mean, I know the expectation is always there, but like the realistic expectation is has matched the overall expectation, I guess, of it just not being that quite good enough, or what the goals and aspirations are isn't sort of um, on the same level of what's occurring yet um and that's that's kind of a good thing if you're if you're florida just because you want that to be higher um than just new york six bowl appearances and wins yeah absolutely so we'll get into the specifics of what happened in miami uh for the orange bowl but before we do remember you can find gators breakdown on news for jacks.com slash gators breakdown you'll find all the episodes there as well as news for jacks coverage of the gators also listen on uh listen and subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify or YouTube, like so many of you are doing live right now. Uh, you can tell if you're watching, I'm not in my uh, normal house studio, uh, in the offices of Channel 4 here. Uh, so i uh, got to change some things up with the holidays and all that good stuff. But uh, when using all those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. So we're well, looking at it. You know, it wasn't a glimpse into the future all that much with, with this bowl game, especially on the offense. And that's not necessarily unexpected or, or a bad thing. You know, sometimes in bowl games, they can give you a look in, in, into the next season with your know, players that show up that'll be on next year's team and they'll go on to have a great bowl game. But it was the seniors that got the job done in Miami. And it, it was great to see 
uh, LaMichael Piran go off after not having the season many expected us uh, or, or predicted him to have. He was the MVP of the Orange Bowl, really the difference in the game, led the team in rushing with 139 yards on 13 carries and two touchdowns. Started the game uh, with the first score in that 61-yard touchdown run. Second on the team in receptions with five catches for 43 yards and a touchdown there as well. Will, much like the Peach Bowl last season, P. Ryan was a huge part of the game plan, put on a show, uh, became the first player in school history to post a rushing and receiving touchdown in multiple bowl games. And Percy Harvin is the only Gator in school history to post a rushing and receiving touchdown in a bowl game. So P. Ryan in some uh, high esteem there. No doubt. Virginia dropped a couple of guys back in, in their defense. And so that I think I thought allowed for some bigger gains in the run game, which was a change for Florida, of course, from from what we saw all year. Um, so I think that was part of it a little bit. But also, um, you know, Michael also made them pay in the passing game, too, when, you know, he got pulled uh, out of the backfield, motioned out of the backfield for that touchdown one on one. And pretty much everybody that's seen a Florida Gators game this year knew what was coming. It was going to be a pass his way. Um, but he not only makes the catch, he breaks the tackle and then scampers the rest of the way for, for the score. And it just shows you just how valuable and how good he is across the board where, you know, you could count on you could have counted on the Michael P. Ryan, not just to be a good uh, rusher at the running back position, but a guy who could catch passes, a guy who could block, a guy who could do a couple of different things. And that's what makes him so valuable. And that's what makes it very hard for for Florida or really any any team that has a guy like him to replace him because it takes time to, to kind of become that kind of player. And I'm not sure, um, I don't know if Damian Pierce is, is at that level or not. I guess he's the guy that they're going to be asking to do some of the heavy lifting without Michael Pirai next year, of course. But it, it, it took him a little while to get to that level. And I think <laughs> Damian Pierce, um, you know, as, as much as he's flashed over the past couple of seasons, it probably take him a little bit to get to LaMichael P. Ryan's level just because of, of how good and how underrated I thought LaMichael P. Ryan has been throughout his career. Because even for me, it's like, you know, you look at it and you say, OK, uh, LaMichael P. Ryan probably is good enough to be on the all-decade team for Florida in the 2010s. And not a whole lot of people give him that credit or not a whole lot of people realize that. But for me, it's a shoe-in. Uh, he's, he's, he's as good as it gets. Yeah, and with that, you mentioned the big runs and and because of what Virginia was doing on defense and, and dropping back and trying to defend the pass more so and getting Kyle Pass passing lanes. I mean, what you saw was – well, at least what you saw was he could get to the second level and make that happen. You know, I'm pretty sure Virginia felt comfortable in their defensive front manhandling the Florida offensive line. And you know, for, the, for the most part, you know, Florida was living off the big plays uh, in the run game, that 61-yard touchdown run. But at least you saw points where this offensive line, uh, I guess, maybe through some bowl prep, you had some weeks to to uh, get better, get get some things figured out along the way, and being able to bust the big runs. Because you, the big run doesn't happen if you're tackling in the backfield. So the offensive line still got to make their make their blocks and get P. Ryan to that second level where there weren't a whole lot of defenders there. Yeah, a constant for me, David, was Kyle Pitts' blocking. I thought he had a really yeah. big on the edge, um, had a, some really key blocks on a couple of Michael's biggest runs. I thought uh, his growth – you know, we kind of said to myself, okay, am I, am I really buying into him being becoming a better blocker over the past couple of se- over the past few weeks of of the um, regular season? And you know, I kind of went back and forth with it, but uh, this game really solidified that for me. I thought he showed some really good improvement. I know, I know, Virginia is not an SEC team; it's different, but still, man, he made, he made some good blocks, and and better yet, he had a very strong idea of what he was being asked to do 
which is a, a great improvement from where he was several weeks ago when it looked the opposite some of the time. All right, so it wasn't that much of a glimpse in the, into next season in the passing game in regards to the wide receivers either. Uh, four of the five leading receivers were seniors, uh, Van Jefferson, P. Ryan, Tyree Cleveland, Freddie Swain. Kyle Pitts was the other receiver in the top five that will be back next season. Jefferson leads, uh, led the way with six catches for 129 yards. That's a career high, uh, and one of those being a 53-yard catch and run. Clunky performance. Uh, you mentioned it, uh, Will, from uh, Kyle Trask here. Uh, so something uh, something just looked off, uh, and he pretty much played his worst game of the season here in the Orange Bowl. I don't know if the time off caught, you know, cooled him off a bit. Uh, the time off gave Bronco Mendenhall time to come up with a scheme to take advantage. That was clear. Uh, that that part of it was clear. Getting in his passing lanes and being able to bat down the balls, you know, take away the quick slants for the most part uh, from this Gator offense and what they were able to, to you know, they, they used the, those quick slants off the, the RPO, being able to, to, you know, try and hit that slant off of an RPO. They they knew that was coming at times and was able to defend it uh, there. So the numbers on the surface look good. 24 of 39, 305 yards and a touchdown. Had pressure in his face early uh, when he threw an interception, but it, it just never really looked right for Kyle Trask in the Orange Bowl. Uh, the ball seemed to flutter at times or, or just playing off target. He did start 9 of 20, but hit his last six passes going into halftime. Uh, so he ended the first half 15 of 26 for 153 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And you thought, okay, he got in the groove here right before halftime, and we'll see the Kyle Trask that we've seen all season but the offense sputters to start the second half. And whatever it was, Will, you know, maybe it was just an off night for Trask. Yeah, and it happens if that's the case. But you're right. I thought his his touch was just uncharacter, uncharacteristically off um, a little bit, um, just off target with some throws, um, leading guys a little bit too far on a couple of those early ones. And the pressure, I thought, really got to him. And that's, you know, Virginia is known for that. And he, he knew it was coming, but I guess it was just different to kind of see it um, and, and have to throw against it. But, yeah, it de definitely wasn't his typical performance. I'm with you. I think it probably was his worst performance of the season, it being in the Orange Bowl. That invites a whole bunch of offseason questions about what the best play is for Florida going into 2020. How much should we see Emory Jones versus how much we should see Kyle Trask this year? And I'll tell you what, it'll be interesting either way, um, mm -hmm. just because I, I, I always have the feeling that or I've had the feeling for the last few weeks now that it's going to be a pretty decent quarterback competition between those two those two guys. And I would say that whether, uh, you know, Kyle Trask looked um finer with his with his passing or he had the game that he had last night I, it just it would not have really changed my opinion a whole lot uh, the outlook for next year in regards to both those players mainly because I just I just feel like Emory Jones should be at the point of his uh, development where uh, he can be tasked with uh, higher expectations uh, and a stronger grasp of the offense at this point yeah I do feel good in saying that as well that he's at the point of his career now where if Kyle Trask is the starter next season, then then the, then there is something to wonder about. What, what you know, will he ever will he ever be ready? Uh, you know, and um, I've been of the belief, you know, it may be hard to pull Kyle Trask for what he did this year, and him not be the starter next year. But I, I think it's going to be a competition. I still think Kyle Trask was the best quarterback option for the 2019 season. Doesn't mean he'll be the best option for the 2020 season. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see how uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I think there there will be a competition in the spring. I don't know how open it is. You know, I would assume 
uh, if you know, with eagle eyes, we'll be all looking who's who's going to take the first nap in that spring in that spring rep. Uh, I would assume it's going to be Kyle Trask, but you know who who knows and uh, how all this is going to work uh, work itself out. Uh, but I, I do think it's a competition uh, going into to, to next season, and, I, and I'm not going to be surprised either way. If it's Kyle Trask taking the first nap in the first game next season, I won't be surprised. If it's Emory Jones taking the first nap, I won't be surprised. Uh, but uh, ultimately. And we will have plenty of time, off-season time, to talk for this. Ultimately, we know Dan Mullen's offense will work better with a mobile quarterback. That doesn't mean it's the best right now. For sure, yeah. I think you nailed it when you said that Kyle Trask was the best option for this particular team and this particular personnel. Um, because if you look at the bevy of wide receiver options, it worked out. He was the guy that delivered the ball to them early, early often, consistently. All of it. Um, and and their, their running game would just was not was not existent after the first three or four games that became painfully obvious. And so would that have changed all that much if Emory Jones was in there, uh, you know, for 15, 20 more snaps than he than he usually was. I don't think so. Uh, just because you're, you're going to have to rely on that offensive line to make some blocks still. And that was something that they were not able to do, um, particularly early on in the season. So I think that. Uh, with the style of offense that Dan Mullen runs, Emory Jones obviously presents that that rushing threat from the quarterback position that has to the defense has to account for. That's a big mo of that of that offense. Uh, but I think the the smart money would be on Kyle Trask probably still keeping the job uh, just because he did so much, and it's going to be hard for you to take that away from him. Uh, but I also think that the smart money is also on, on these guys kind of sharing the role a little bit again, uh, just like we saw this past season, uh, just probably um, more snaps probably toward Emory Jones uh, in, in that sort of situation. Yeah, I think one thing's pretty clear what we've seen from these first two years for Dan Mullen, he values experience. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I know Kyle Trash doesn't have, or coming into this season, didn't have more starting experience than Emory Jones, but still, uh, you know, experience overall in being in college football just a bit longer. So I don't know how much that played into it, uh, but you can tell from the first two seasons, experience is a huge part of Dan Mullen in, in picking a quarterback. Yeah, and the thing with Emory Jones is, and I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of his, and I, I do think he has a lot of talent, but we just don't know that all that much about him to be sort of clamoring for him to be starting just because you, know, you don't know what kind of decision maker he is. You don't know how 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 accurate he can be on a consistent basis. And those are two major things. You don't know how he is in the huddle, um, you know, uh, during a during a pivotal stretch of a game. And those are huge question marks. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, I, I think – in regards to what you just said, the closest we got to that was the Auburn game when we thought Kyle Trask may be out for a little while with an injury. That injury looked serious at the time. And, hey, look, injury, Emory Jones comes in, critical time, needs to far and needs to, to get down the field. Uh, he puts together a couple string of passes, and Florida drives down the field and kicks a field goal uh, in a close game. So there's just one example of it. But as you said, we probably need to see more before we can say for sure uh, that that is the best option uh, moving forward for the 2020 uh, season. So back to Trask here, you know, after taking over for Florida's offense to start the fourth quarter at Kentucky, Trask finished the season 233 of 349, so that's good for 66.8%, so basically 67% passer there for Kyle Trask for 2,901 yards and 24 touchdowns. Uh, add four rushing touchdowns to that as well. Gators have eight 300-yard passing games in a season for the first time since 2001 and for the fourth time since the start of uh, 97 season. 
And Florida also reached that total seven times in 1999 and nine times in 98. And here we go. Kyle Trask is the first Gators quarterback since Chris Leak in 2004 to post 4300-yard passing games uh, in, in the season. So, Will is the the season's over with and not sure uh we'll, we'll get into it with some of the uh Twitter comments some uh some of the uh, uh listeners sent, but uh, uh no, no telling where the season would have went if Kyle Trask wouldn't have stepped in so admirably after the uh Fleet Play France goes down. Yeah, no doubt. That's the story. That's the story of the season by by a long shot. Um, is that that's the turning point. That's where everything changed, and that's what saved the season for Florida. Uh, no doubt about it. But also, uh, the other the other side of that story, though, is that is that group of wide receivers. I mm-hmm. mean, there, there were there were guys that they were able to rely on uh, play after play, and we saw that even in the Orange Bowl, where you know fourth and eight, uh, who, who was the play? It's it, it's a passing play, and, and and Freddie Swain makes it with a slant over the middle, one on one coverage. Um, we saw other instances of that. I mean, they they relied on Van Jefferson to get that drive going, um, and he stretches the field for a big pass and catch play. So, I mean, there's just example after example, and I know you could kind of throw the Michael P. right into that mix as well, but just speaking strictly of the, those wide receivers, um, they, they were always a big part of it, and I think that they just found the right guy to deliver them the football on a consistent basis, and that was Kyle Trask. Absolutely. So we're looking at the the game uh, more specifically again here. You know, it, it was the second quarter where Florida just dominated the game. It was the difference in the game uh, here. It was 14-7 heading into the quarter, and Virginia was driving for their second touchdown and scored on the first play of the quarter. But as a total in the second quarter, the Cavaliers only ran nine plays for 33 yards. And we'll get to the defensive struggles in a bit, but it was it was great for this quarter. Uh, most telling stats were Florida holding the ball for 11 minutes and six seconds of the quarter. Uh, this was uh, the beginning of uh, a Florida kind of taking away momentum whenever Virginia would grab it. Uh, you know, it was a tie game, but Florida goes on to to dominate the quarter uh, here. The Gators had 193 yards uh, in the quarter, 12 rush attempts for 102 yards, eight of 13 passing for 91 yards. Um, the Gators averaged 7.7 yards per play, while Virginia averaged 3.7, so a four-yard per average difference here for the Gators. And looking at the game as a whole, Will, this 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 quarter right here is where Florida won the game. Yeah, no, I, and I think that um, what gets lost a lot of times in, in the fact of Dan Mullen's play calling is just his knack for really putting together the, and orchestrating those long drives um, that can really dictate the flow of the game. And I felt like they had one of those in that, you know, in that second in that second quarter. And I thought that that helped out the defense a little bit. I mean, obviously, they still weren't that great in the second half. And it's not as if that completely changed the game by any means, but it allowed them to kind of stay off the field for a little while. Um, and that's always helpful. So that's part of it. It was just another game where I thought it, it really just proved not that he needs any more of these games, but just proved Dan Mullen's acumen when it comes to to offensive football, play calling and just understanding um, the, the momentum in, in terms of uh, how you can kind of capitalize on things when things are going in your on in your way on and for your favor um, and to kind of keep that going for you. I think he he just put on another class of how to do that um, in this game against Virginia. Yeah. And part of that, too, is you look at it in Florida really only stopped themselves in the whole first half. Uh, the the only time they didn't score on offense was when Kyle Trask threw the interception uh, there. So you, it was Florida pretty much dictating what they wanted to do on offense. It didn't even look that great, but they were still scoring touchdowns and putting field goals on the board. 
Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't always that pretty. Um, and I know some people kind of quibbled with, um, as always, the decision to put Emory Jones in the game. And after Kyle Trask finally did get going yeah. uh, with a couple of passes in a row. But, you know, uh, I'll go back to the idea of just wanting to extend that drive a little bit um, and kind of just, you know, drag it out even a little bit more. That may have had something to do with it. I'm not sure. But. Um, and that's why you want Emory Jones in there to run the ball a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, it, it was just another game where um, you really couldn't question too much what Dan Mullen was doing offensively at all. Right. So we'll go to the other side of the ball here. And, uh, man, Bryce Perkins, quarterback for Virginia, he put on a show with the help of his wide receivers here. Multiple times he's evading would-be tacklers on throwing the ball to his wide receivers that just seem to catch everything. Uh, but if Virginia was going to beat Florida, it was going to be because of his legs. Florida held him in check there, uh, and maybe at the detriment of the pass defense here. Uh, Cavaliers were 5-0 and this season when Perkins ran for 60 or more yards. He had 24 net yards rushing and 41 if you take away the sacks. His threat running kept Florida in his own defense most of the night, really opened up the passing game. The linebackers spot him close to the line of scrimmage, so he was able to, to fit passes with the safeties defending here and you know, it wasn't a ton of man coverage because they just didn't want Perkins to kill kill them with their legs here. And maybe too much focus was put on that. Uh, I mentioned the jump balls that his wide receivers were, were able to come down with. And, you know, what a big game from Hasis Dubai. Uh, he was the wide receiver I featured last week on the podcast, and he showed up. He delivered here. He needed 21 uh, 21 more receiving yards to become just a fourth Cavalier to reach 1,000 receiving yards in the season. Well, he finished the night, 10 catches for 83 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he had 65 receptions and zero drop passes on 65 catchable targets coming into the game. I don't think he dropped the ball last night either. So, uh, you know, Will, this was an offense that kept you know just making play after play, especially in the fourth quarter. And look, they missed some opportunities as well. Yeah, it's funny. I had a uh, Florida defensive coach come up to me after the game and just go to me and say, uh, you know, a win is a win, right? You know, and we're, we're kind of take it. But but yeah, they weren't too pleased with that performance at all. Um, and it's like, where where would they have been without Kyrie Elam? Yep. Uh, that's that's the one guy that you could kind of say, well, not the one guy, because other guys did play fairly well uh, defensively, but he's the guy that you could say uh, really changed that game from a defensive perspective on a positive note for Florida. He had the big interception, of course, but just even throughout the whole game, man, he made that, he made that one-on-one stop. Um, Ooh, yeah. That was super impressive early on in the game. Uh, had a pass breakup after he allowed a catch because he slipped on a play uh, previously. So mm-hmm. he played his play with a lot of competitive fire. So as much as uh, it was a downer defensively for Florida, his performance, I just feel, feel like it almost makes up for it just because it was such a breakout. And it's something that people wanted to see, especially when you don't know exactly what Marco Wilson's intentions are beyond this game uh, in, in regards to his future with Florida, because you're already without CJ Henderson next year. So um, that was huge, but you're right. I mean, I, I think it was to their detriment that almost the, the amount of focus that Perkins got, but uh, you know, I, I guess it's almost like a damned if you do damned if you don't situation perhaps. 
Yeah, you know, Thomas Goldcamp replied, I, I tweeted something similar to that, and he said, kind of, kind of reminded him of the Georgia game. They were so focused on yeah. stopping that Georgia run game that it kind of looked similar to that, that they let the big plays happen. They, they let the passing game kill them here. And uh, for whatever reason, just wouldn't be, couldn't able to, wasn't able to put the complete package together here uh, on defense. Yeah, you, we know you have to stop the run. We know you have to stop the running quarterback. But so many jump balls that Virginia wide receivers come down with. And credit to them. Look, I mean, I knew coming into this game that they, they were good uh they, look this virginia yeah. offense was based on they weren't running the ball either like florida they were ranked in the hundreds rushing the ball and the reason that they were winning games was because of quarterback play and wide receiver play and they go three deep there where guys can make plays and we saw that uh in, in person last night there with the, the play that they were able to make and like you said you know i come into the to the episode here and, and speaking of, especially on the offense where it was kind of senior led and the seniors making the plays but Kyrie Elam was the best defensive back on the field for the Gators last night. Uh, wasn't even wasn't even really close, uh, and may have been the best defensive player overall for Florida uh, on the field last night. And look, we were discussing you know a glimpse into next season. Well, as you said, he was he was the shining star there. Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm quickly scanning my mind for a guy who who you could even place in that discussion. I really have a hard time coming up with somebody, really. Um, I know David Reese made a couple of nice stops early in the game. Um, pass rush was a, was a mixed bag a little bit. Um, nobody in particular, I feel like, had a, had a major game. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm with you. I think, he, I think he had an excellent performance, of course. That's obvious. Um, and just going forward into next year, man, it, it really profiles for – you know, just a major season for him where he's on the cusp of maybe superstardom because if you look at his season, he had a great year. It's just the fact that he didn't play a whole lot. Yeah. If you look at his advanced statistics, if you look at his game-by-game breakdowns, the guy didn't allow much of any catches this year. The only kind of catches that he allowed were ones that were the smart ones to give up anyway, where it was like a third and long situation and he's keeping the ball in front of him uh, before a first down uh, or well, well short of a first down, I should say. So those are the right plays in those situations. And that's really the only catches that kind of come to mind. And I, I don't recall him really uh, getting beat severely on anything. Uh, it's going to happen, of course, but it, none of that comes to mind. So it's just a, a breakout performance in a bowl game, which is really nothing new for a Florida defensive back, I guess. But uh, always good to see for Florida, uh, particularly when it's a guy like Kyrie Elam who had that pedigree. You kind of knew that he was always going to be good. Uh, but for him to step up on a big stage and deliver is just, uh, you know, all, all the more uh, for optimism heading into 2020. And I'm glad you brought up David Reese and what he was able to do because it, it was very noticeable here. First touchdown of the game, Michael P. Ryan, 61-yard touchdown run. Very first defensive drive. Virginia's third and short, and who who's in there making the tackle to to, to make Virginia go three and out on, on the first play of the or the first drive of the game? It's David Reese back there making that tackle uh, and, and keeping you know and making Virginia have to punt the ball on their first drive. So you know, good for those in, in their last game, those seniors to to really be able to to go out on a high note again. And uh, there, it was just very noticeable what David Reese was able to do and how much how integral he was. And look. I, we just got through talking about how much focus they put on stopping Bryce Perkins in, in that quarterback run game. Well, David Reese was a big part of that. Yeah, and it, and it kind of scares you if you're if you're affiliated with Florida, just because who who's who's going to be like David Reese next year? I don't know if you have a hundred percent a guy like that. I guess Ventrell Miller is the one that profiles the most. Um, yeah, he had eight tackles last night. 
Yeah, he had a nice game, I thought. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he had a, he put together a pretty good season as well in 2019, showed a lot of improvement as the season went on. And so I think he's a, a surefire starter for you next year. And I guess the question is, you know, who is he going to be paired with? Probably a, a combination of guys uh, headlined by maybe James Houston, I suppose, depending on where they want to fit Amari Bernie. And, um, you know, Derek, Derek, how quickly does Derek Wingo make a. Uh, yeah, Derek and Hopper for that matter, too. Yeah. Um, who redshirted this past season. So um, they have some options there, but it's just like you knew exactly what you were getting out of David Reese, and, and he was just automatic to an extent against the run, I felt like. And you just don't have a guy like that this, the, in 2020, or not yet at least, until unless somebody emerges or improves uh, that much more. Yeah, and like uh, I think since Florida did such a great job in holding Perkins from going crazy on the ground, it, it limited their sack numbers because I think they um, just – you could tell there was a lot of contain in, in making sure he wasn't going to be able to get loose. Now they should have had a couple more than the three that they had <laughs> because, uh, you know, Perkins was back there making guys miss as we, as I said earlier and throwing the ball up and receivers making plays. Virginia had given up 38 sacks on the season coming into the game, but uh, you know, but Grenard and, and the return of Jabari Zuniga were definitely felt Grenard. I thought he wasn't going to come back into the game when he limped off the field and what looked like an, uh, another ankle injury for him that he's been dealing with uh, all season. But as soon as it looked like he was done, here he comes back in and gets a sack. Uh, then Zuniga, after a rough start, he settled in, made some plays in the backfield as well. Uh, we, I guess if we had known for sure, I pretty much knew Jabbar Zuniga was going to play uh, in this game uh, here, but uh, I think if we had known for sure that we were going to get the the pairing of Grenard and Zuniga, we probably expected a little more. But uh, as I said, Perkins was was partly because of that and, and his playmaking ability. Yeah, man, he's elusive, um, and also they did get into the backfield and, and, yeah. and he uh, he escaped a little bit and made some throws and and um, they. they they capitalized on some of those too, which just uh, having a couple of bigger body wide receivers and making some plays and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, and like you said, the the focus was to kind of contain him and not let him beat you. So that was a, that was a win in that sense of it. But yeah, you, you would have expected a little bit more from it. Uh, but again, I mean, Grenard was, was obviously still bothered by some sort of ankle injury um, that kind of, that probably hindered him a little bit. But, you know, you look at it and just even like projecting it after this game and looking at it from next year, you mentioned Zuniga and Grenard. You know, I still like their their where Florida is as far as defensive end and edge rusher at an edge rusher next year with, uh, you know, Carter probably stepping in for Zuniga and a combination of Cox, the body Bogle. Um, and whoever else that they want to throw at edge rusher, uh, you know, Moon, of course, um, and whoever else they want to put out there. It's, it's just different to me when you look at like the linebacker position next year or some other spots, it's just not as susceptible to the, to the major loss as crazy as that sounds when you mentioned guys like Zuniga and Grenard. Yeah. I think uh, another question that begs here, you know, Virginia's first touchdown comes off right, right after Kyle Trapp does an interception uh, and Trey Dean is beating the end zone uh, for a touchdown. So um, Florida's going to have to figure out what they want to do uh, with Trey Dean, where they want to stick him, uh, is it still cornerback? Is it nickel? Is it safety? They're going to have to figure some things out. Uh, their cornerback, or especially definitely the nickel position, just didn't work out for him this year. Uh, we'll see. Florida looks like they need some help at safety uh, after last night's game as well. They didn't have – I expected Brad Stewart to maybe take that next step this year. You saw glimpses last year in the Tennessee game and the crazy interception he had in that game and then the LSU game and still in that, but nowhere near that kind of 
playmaking production this year uh, from Brad Stewart. So Florida, you know, we talked about Kyrie Elam and he's definitely going to be one of the lockdown corner spots next year. There's no question there, but questions surrounding the secondary everywhere else, Will. Yeah, and, you know, I just don't know what to do with Trey Dean uh, just because I, I think he's talented. Yeah. Uh, it's just he's in a funk right now where it's like I don't know where you put him. It's certainly not at nickel. I don't think he wants to play there anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's the season that he had, and I don't blame him. Um, I, I think if you were to ask him where he wants to be as far as, you know, corner, nickel, or safety, I don't think nickel is number one on the, on that list. It's probably number three, um, and for good reason. So it's kind of the question of, okay, well, what did they do then? Um, and they have some options. I guess, like, Bernie's still an option. Yeah. Uh, one intriguing name for me is uh, Chester Kimbrough. I thought I think that he could have a, a, a just a nice role at the star position if that's what they want to choose to do with him. Um, but it kind of depends on, there's just so many question marks before we can kind of really get into it, just because we just don't know, um, you know, how many corners are they going to need to, you know, are they going to have Marco Wilson or not? Um, that's a huge question, of course. And that kind of dictates, I, I feel like the rest of the personnel from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, and of course, you know, what do, uh, you, know, you don't want to have to count on true freshmen, but well, you know what did the recruits do? What does Travis Johnson come in and do uh, right right away? You know Finley Graham, Avery Helm, those guys. You know what can they come in and do early on as well? So definitely a lot of questions there. I just think the the only for sure answer uh, is Kyrie Riddle. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's, that's for now. Yeah, right. That for for now exactly. One day after the the last game of the season, that's just yeah. kind of where it where where it sits. Uh, right. react, uh, maybe in a week or so. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of just, yeah, exactly where it stands uh, right now. So let's get to some uh, listener tweets out here before we wrap up here. Uh, this Orange Bowl episode of Gators Breakdown. Sarah Higgins says uh, she feels thankful after Franks went down. I, uh, um, after Franks went down, I think if we were all honest, we'd say no, uh, no one saw the season going this way. Can we improve? Definitely. But I'm thankful for a great season uh, and another step forward. Uh, Mary Murphy Shannon says um, it looks sloppy uh, more into the game itself here. It looks sloppy on both sides of the ball. P Ryan was amazing and Grenard and Ethan were too. Van Jefferson is a winner. Great game, but I'm old and was stressful. Dan Mulling is amazing. So uh, yeah, well, uh, I guess going back to your article last week uh, in previewing this orange bowl matchup and it was huge on the buy-in and I, I don't want to relate the performance so much on buy-in uh, from last night. I mean, you know, I, I think – look, I, I had Florida winning by 20 uh, in this game. That's kind of just kind of how I saw it coming. I know Virginia was coming off of a, a terrible performance in the ACC championship game against Clemson. Florida ended the season on such a high note. Uh, and offense was kind of humming along at that, at that point. So, yeah – I get it. Uh, I know there's some disappointment with the way uh, the game went. You were on a national stage. You were on prime time. You were the only game on on TV. You would have liked a better performance uh, out there, of course. But you know, I still think the buy-in was there. I don't want to necessarily say all oh, the players didn't care or, or, or whatever. They, they came out humming on offense, you know, even though it was clunky. They were still putting points up on the board. Uh, the third quarter didn't go necessarily the way uh, we wanted to. They didn't come out uh, of halftime the way we expect uh, most Gator teams do on, on offense. But uh, I, I have a hard time believing the buy-in wasn't there. You, you still went on and, and to win the game. You didn't play your best, but you still walked out a winner. Yeah, I wouldn't pin it on that either. Just I would pin it just more on uh, mobile quarterbacks just not being um, 
all that kind toward Florida's defenses the last couple of seasons. Um, and, it's, and it was better last this past season in some instances. And even in, in, in spending on that, even experienced quarterbacks, which Perkins is. Sure, yeah. And so the combination is almost deadly for Florida. You know, it's just not great. And so that was that was my thinking. I think my expectation was for Florida to win by 13. Uh, that was the number that I kind of settled on heading into the game. I thought the spread was just a, a tad too high for me to be completely buying into it. Um, but I thought 13, 12, something like that, I, I could kind of get down with where we still let's kind of two score game, uh, but just not a complete blowout by any means. That's that's kind of where I thought it was. I maybe had a little bit more respect for Virginia um, than some other people. Uh, but it was just really because of Perkins for me. I just feel like um, he just presents such a difficulty for Florida's defense. Man, and he was. Um, that, that it's just a, a tough player to defend against. Um, so that's, that's where I was at with it. I think the buy-in for me was more just about um, the guys actually showing up here and wanting mm-hmm. to play the game. Uh, that was evident. And that's that's not something that should be taken for granted because it's not the case at every school um, that's in Florida's position where, you know, it's a, it's a glorified exhibition ex, ex, exhibition game at, at, at this point. You know, it's not something that's going to matter for you um, in terms of getting somewhere else. This is your final destination. Um, and so whatever happens, this is it. But. I feel like half the battle was getting these guys to actually want to play in the game. And, and that was undeniable from Florida's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan at Go Gators for Life says we won the Orange Bowl and finished with 11 wins. So it's a very good season. Tonight wasn't pretty for defense. Conservative play calling looked lazy at times, but offensively we had 550 yards. Imagine if we can build on this in our run game. We'll be fun to see next year. Well, I think part of that, uh, the run game, yes, it was good to see. But man, in looking at it, we saw we saw a good bit of combinations from the offensive line uh, last night, and, and who they were lining up. You know, Heggy was on the right side at times; he was on the left side at times. You had uh, Gene DeLance come out there; didn't look too pretty when he uh, made his appearance out there at, at the right tackle spot. But uh, you saw some combinations last night, and look, we'll, we'll see what what happens with some red shirts uh, as well. That Florida was able to redshirt some players. Maybe you know, Michael Tarquin comes to mind uh, there. You know, can Ethan White take another step uh, with another offseason uh, of conditioning and, and building up and experience for him? Uh, I don't think uh, you know we'll have to replace Buchanan at center, but. Uh, I, I'm not so sure we can really pencil in a starting five for this offensive line right now next year. Probably not, but I think I think your best case or, or your most likely case at this point is the combination that we saw. Or you know, there there are five guys out of the combination that you mentioned that will be back next year, and I think those five guys probably are the best uh, best bets. I'm not saying they're the most talented. I'm not saying it's the best. Um, uh, you know, configuration, but those are probably the best bets as far as who who will comprise the the offensive line. It'll probably be Ethan White and the and the four other guys who who have been starting um, the rest of the, the for the majority of the season um, after Chris Fleisch's exit, of course, with the yeah. Richard Garage. Um, so that that would be five. Uh, but that's not to say that those jobs are etched in stone by any means. Just because at the tackle positions, it wasn't always consistent and it wasn't always pretty. It's just I don't know if you could rely on a you know a true freshman or one of the redshirt freshmen. I'm not I'm not sure if they're they're there yet in their developments at all. Um, that's obvious for the for the true freshman. We don't know, but you know yeah. if it was the case with the redshirt freshman, I think we would have seen them a little bit more. Right, we would have saw them kind of uh, 
get involved a little bit later on to the season because the one thing that we did see again was the the constant um not juggling but uh mixing it up here and there with the personnel we saw that we saw that in the orange bowl of course but we saw that in the, in the last couple of games of the regular season so it wasn't like completely new um they, they did take out guys um for a series here or a quarter there or a couple of series and they mix it up a little bit in some of these last games um yeah, I think my overall point on the offensive line is, you know, it, in theory, it should be better, but we don't know. We don't, we just don't know. And I think it's kind of um, too easy to kind of say, oh, the offensive line is going to be better next year. Um, you know, I, I think that it probably will, but we don't know for sure. Um, and I think that uh, you could really get in trouble by just automatically thinking that they're going to get better or that they're going to um, vastly improve from, from last year just because they're a bit more experienced. So, all that to say, um, you know, if it's me, I, I look at almost um, again trying to get another another transfer in there, or you know, perhaps graduate transfer or somebody like that that could kind of add some quality depth to a group that still could use another guy like that. Absolutely, sir. Tampa Dad uh, says uh, we had four wins three years ago. Now we have a ten and eleven win season. After all the years of Must Champ and McElwain, I'm happy when you when you win eleven games. They can't all be pretty. <laughs> I like that part too. You know, you you get eleven wins. That's a lot of wins. You know what? More more likely than not, they're not all gonna be pretty. Unless you're LSU. Unless you're LSU. But you know, even they had a what three point victory over Auburn. So yeah, the old Miss game was a little bit sloppy. Yeah, the end, but but uh, it happens. It happens. Um, but yeah, the, the, but speaking of that right now, they're on a, they're on a whole nother level right now. <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes you put that that lock LSU in perspective. Florida, um, just because nobody's been able to kind of hang with them at all. Right. Whew, man. Um, Joe uh, Pasani says, uh, great way to finish the season, but this also – yeah, here we go. This is a, a good point here. Uh, great way to finish the season, but this also shows the separation from the elite teams. Florida has a ways to go, but Mullen is on the right track, just needs to keep recruiting. And it was one big takeaway because, as I said earlier – a lot of people were making assumptions based on this game with the way Virginia performed against Clemson. Well, Clemson's elite, and the, the, the final score of the ACC championship game was in, in, indicative of that. Uh, they're in the college football playoff national championship for a reason. Uh, they're an elite team. LSU, elite this year. You know, they're not that elite program. They, they recruit at a high level, but you know, there was you know, Florida beat that team last year, and they get the right combination of, a, of an offensive coordinator that's able to tap into Joe Burrow, and when you get some elite playmaking quarterback uh, with the talent that LSU is able to bring in, then you get elite play. Uh, so, you know, we'll see uh, how much Florida uh, you know has to roster build uh, to get in that situation. We, we know that has to happen first and foremost. But, yeah, when you start looking at uh, what we saw this past weekend in the college football playoff and what Clemson was able to do to this same Virginia team, it is a pretty good indicator just how close Florida is but far away at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. Um, I will say um, not so much to – to uh, counter that point at all, but just, I think the motivation is a little bit different when you're playing a regular season game and you're Clemson and your schedule is, is not doing you any favors and, and you really have to blow out teams like that. And then you kind of compare that to a team that's, like I said, playing a glorified exp exhibition game in a bowl game. Um, the, the, the level of motivation um, is just not equivalent, I feel like. Um, but again, the, the level of 
talent from Clemson and Florida is not equivalent either. Um, and so that's part of it. That's a major part, probably a bigger part of it is that there, there's still that gap that exists. And, and that's been the season long story. It's been the story um, ever since really Mullen took over is, you know, the question of, you know, what's going to be the reason why he's unable to, to kind of get this program to, um, to an elite, uh, you know, top five, top four status. And the only thing that I could kind of think of is, if the recruiting doesn't get up to that sort of level, that's the only thing that will hold this program back um, as to, because everything else is pretty much there for you. So that's, that's the only thing they're going to have to, um, like you said, David, continue to, to add quality, quality depth blue chippers, which, which they've done somewhat in this class uh, in 29 and 2020. Um, but it, it's just, this has to be the start of it. I mean, like it has to get better from here. It can't just remain status quo. Right. Uh, Dustin, uh, Dustin Woolbright at Differentiator 19 says, not the sexiest win, but love that we're 11 and 2 and ended the season on a high note. Here we go. Time to hit the trail and get ready for spring camp uh, so we can get better. Cowtown Gator says, glad the program is back to the point of winning these kind of games with or without our best effort. Uh, Charleston Gator Club, uh, nothing but good things to say. Lost to two good teams and we're in both of those games. A few years ago, losing our starting quarterback would have spiraled the team to a four-win season. Instead, they persevered and improved from last year. Great foundation that Mullen is uh, building upon. Um, there you go, Will. It's kind of more of the point that you just said. We're building upon. This is a good starting point. This is a good foundation. These first two years, uh, as I said, to, to put Florida in the spotlight, and I think the most important thing looking at it from a fan perspective is, man, Florida football is finally fun again. Yeah, no, and I think that's a good point with just the quarterback position in particular is that, you know, and you can say that that's not a Florida problem. You know, that's that's a, you know, most teams would go through a four win season or something like that if their starting quarterback is out for the year by week three or, or whatever that week was, uh, September 14th. Um, that's just the way it is. Like a lot of teams, especially nowadays, are just not constructed that way to, to have a guy or two guys that are that are capable of then stepping in like Florida had. Um, but it, I mean, it starts with, uh, with those two guys being prepared for it, but it's also just like everybody knows, um, it, it kind of points to the coaching staff and the leadership at the top. So yeah, it's, it's undeniable that, that Florida has, um, you know, some great leadership there, uh, definitely bodes well. Um, uh, they're, they're where they should, where they want to be at this point. Um, but next year it, it really ratchets up the, the expectation level for, okay, you know, a third New Year's six wouldn't be we wouldn't be having this the same conversation. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the big thing is uh, get, get, getting over that Georgia hump. Uh, that's the big thing uh, right now for these Gators. And next couple, uh, or in particular, kind of looking at uh, the game and the season itself, uh, but kind of on the opposite spectrum here. Uh, op- he goes happy with eleven. I'm assuming Kyle Trask there. Uh, this is from uh, Lundin calling uh, David Lundin. Happy with 11, but disappointed with this game's performance. A lot of great seniors leaving and worried that the O-line didn't really progress during the year. So that is another point about this offensive line, Will. Is I remember uh, co-host you know, Will's, uh, Will Miles had a nice article on this offensive line, and he went back and looked at what Mullen and, and John Hevesy had been able to do. And I think it was 2017 year for Mississippi State where they were also replacing a whole – slew of offensive linemen and how they were still able to get the run game going. And, you know, part of that was that Nick Fitzgerald there <laughs> as a running quarterback and, and making things happen with his legs. So that plays a big part in it too. But, you know, also, uh, yeah, I can see the look of, hey, this offensive line may start slow, but they'll get better as the season goes on. Well, 
didn't really get that chance to if you kind of wanted to take it that route as far as looking just at the run game because Florida just didn't do it. And I don't, I don't blame Mullen. He, he wasn't hard-headed uh, to sit here and say, okay, I'm going to sit here and just try to run the ball time and time again just to see if we can get better at it. No, he, he's paid to go win games, and he was winning games by going out there and throwing the ball 40 times a game and throwing for 300 yards. So yeah, I, I still think, yeah, we would like to see the steps for this offensive line to get better in the run game, but also kudos to just not being hard-headed and, and, and trying it just for the sake of trying it. Yeah, and I'm, I think that what, what kind of goes a little bit under the radar that kind of hindered their development, the offensive line is, you know, I'm not sure like what the quality of practices that they've had um, mm. because the, the the depth really was lacking on the defensive line uh, this year. That's not going to be a problem or it shouldn't be a problem in the future because of the class that they signed. But this year in particular, like they, they just didn't have a whole lot of depth and, uh, you know, a couple of guys were injured. Um, and then so, I mean, scout team was really comprised of a bunch of walk-ons, I guess, uh, for the defensive line and, and, and practices. And that's what your your first team is is getting to look from. Um, so I think that may have had a little bit to do with it too. Um, just a small reason that goes a little bit unnoticed and a little bit under the radar. Um, but also the fact that, you know, the, the, we're not talking about four and five-star recruits here at, at, all, at all five of those positions. Um, so I think that's part of it as well, is that they needed some time um, but again, I, I just go back to the idea that you, you got to have to see it first before we can kind of say, okay, this, this group is getting better or, or this group is definitely going to be better next year. I think that there's some really good pieces there. Uh, you know, I, I like Brett Heggie. Um, I think Ethan White has, uh, has showed us uh, that he has some great potential. Uh, Richard Garage had, had played really well once he became a starter. So there, you got some good pieces there that, that could kind of create some optimism for you. Um, and so it's not the same exact group that it was uh, back in August. But again, we have to see it. And we didn't really get the, the opportunity to see it just because, like you said, David, they weren't, it's the, it wasn't as if they were running the ball all that much. So it's just, we don't know yet. Yep. Um, who's the ball says, and it's kind of a popular subject here, it says Bryce, Bryce Perkins was the third most efficient ACC passer. Yes, worse than Blackman and Jarrett Williams uh, on the Gator schedule, uh, and he played pitch and catch all game long. Uh, that's one where I'd say stats don't tell the whole story because Bryce Perkins is clearly better than those two quarterbacks, <laughs> and it's not even close. Uh, and because it's not for Kyrie Elam heroics, we might be not we might not be celebrating win number eleven. And in all caps, the last part here, bring back Charlie Strong. So uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So here we go. Uh, of course. Um, Todd Grantham is going to be the uh, looked at a lot here. Uh, Florida's two biggest games this year, LSU and Georgia, uh, wasn't able to to get to get the job done. Not many people are stopping that LSU offense. So that you know that game right there, I mean, it's hard to hard to look at and, and put all the blame on him there uh, for what Florida's not able to do on defense because Auburn's really about the only defense that slowed down uh, that LSU attack. Um, the Georgia game, you still held them to 24 points, but and go back and looking at that, still the third down defense was absolutely atrocious, uh, in, in that game. So, yeah, you don't get much of an excuse there, but 24 points still in the grand scheme of things is still a game you probably should win, uh, there. But then, uh, of course, last night, uh, in, in the Orange Bowl, 
uh, in the performance. We detailed why we think that may have happened in, in Bryce Perkins' legs in, in running games. So, um, and I had a conversation last night as well, uh, you know, on social media, uh, on Twitter about Grantham, and you know, I'm still more of a defender uh, of Grantham and more of a supporter than Grantham than I'm than I'm not. But I do get the ire because of the two biggest games this year where the defense didn't get the job done and then last night's Orange Bowl. Yeah, but I, but I think what you said is true, and I don't think it's making up excuses for or, or really anything that's not um, you know, just well thought out because it's like, you know, LSU uh, at in Baton Rouge, I mean, you're just not stopping that team this year. So I think that you can kind of cancel that one out almost um now do you want one stop or, or you know one or two stops and that could have made a world of a difference for you yeah. sure and so that's probably you know the counterpoint that's definitely valid um is that you know you should have been able to at least stop them once or twice mm-hmm. like, you know, like that's that's something that that should happen for you um and then the georgia thing with the third downs another one that's sort of on the level of inexcusable where you kind of had to get some stops there um so yeah i, I get that part and it, it's it hurts Florida fan just because those are your two losses and it's LSU and Georgia. But again, uh, yeah, you just look at the overall body of work though. Um, and it's more good than bad. I would say with, with Todd Grantham for sure. Um, and again, it's like you weren't operating with a completely full deck there either. Um, you had guys missing time. You didn't have a whole lot of depth. Um, so, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say you're grading him on a curve, but, um, you're now operating with a full deck and there, there definitely was more good than bad with Grantham, especially if you look at it in the perspective of both seasons. All right. So last few tweets here is, uh, you know, Grecio says, I can't remember gaining yards or scoring almost 40 points for that matter under McElwain. We won. Ask Oklahoma what an embarrassing effort feels like. <laughs> so they got up enough to win a game that they probably didn't want to play in, nor did the fan base want to see. Uh, Gators had a good showing there, uh, from what I could tell. Uh, there, uh, you know, on, on TV there. So um, the fans traveled uh, the most of them because because it's an easy drive there. So uh, pretty pretty good showing there uh, for the Gator crowd in the season finale. Um, Sunshine State champion says it's finally over, Dave. Uh, I wanted improvement. 11 and 2 is exactly that. Now to see what improvement can be made going into 2020, a new decade and new horizons for Gator football. Uh, good point here with um, wanting to see uh, improvement this year. And I remember going, coming into this season, Will, and uh, of course, you go into every season and what are the expectations? And year one under Dan Mullen, it was to uh, just kind of shed what was going on in Jim McElwain showed progress. Uh, and you showed progress uh, enough to win 10 games and win a New Year's Six game. In year two, it was about still progress, but in the way of you need to take care of business against teams that you need to beat. You can't have the Kentucky performance from last year. You can't have the Missouri performance from last year. Uh, and that's exactly what they did this year. That was me. I remember doing an episode on it and asking uh, fans' opinions, and that they, they agreed with me. And without even kind of leading them that way, that was the way most fans thought too. They wanted to see Florida beat the teams that they were supposed to beat, and, th- and that happened this year. Now, you could say Georgia was a team you were supposed to beat by, by the way they played this year, uh, leading up to the Florida game lead, and, and, and after the Florida game as well. But still, in, in the grand scheme of things, that was probably about as close to 50-50 uh, of a ball game there. So, you know, for the most part, uh, I think most fans can feel content of, you know, Florida did what they were supposed to do this year. 
Yeah, and that, that, was, that was the hallmark of, the, of this year's team is that they they thoroughly beat teams that they were supposed to beat, whether it was uh, Tennessee or you know the non-conference games that they played. Um, and they, they beat the tough team that they were that many thought they would beat, which was Auburn at home. Um, so that was another win that they should have had that they did get. And as far as the Georgia game goes, uh, they were the Gators at the time were the trendy pick for a lot of team for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, but I think the spread indicated that Georgia was still the favorite in that game. Um, so it wasn't exactly, uh, to your point, the the type of game where they were expo- expected to win or supposed to win, I guess, is the best way to put it. So I'm with you. I think that that was probably one of the baseline expectations uh, is to clean up uh, those type of losses that we saw not only with Kentucky, but Missouri as well last year. Didn't see that happen this year. Um, so that was huge for Florida. Uh, and then going forward next year, like you mentioned earlier, you got to beat Georgia this time. Um, this is that's that's in year three under Mullen. That has to be the thing that happens. Yeah, and going back to what we just described and what Florida was able to do this season, they did it in a different way than we imagined. It wasn't Felipe Franks, the quarterback, leading leading their charge. Kadarius Tony was on the sideline for a lot of the season. Henderson missed some time uh, there. You had some Gennard and, and Zuniga weren't 100% at the time. You barely got Zuniga uh, for most of this year. So Florida was still able to live up to the expectation, live up to the building of a top-10 team, and did it in ways we couldn't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, CJ Henderson missed some time too for a little, right. a little while. So it was like, um, we're talking about now three, four, uh, almost maybe you want to even include Amari Bernie in there who missed mm-hmm. up some time and he was an important player. So, you know, you have this like uh, group of like super important players that if you were to put out the preseason list of, Hey, these are the most important players for your program heading into 2019. A lot of those guys didn't play a whole lot, and a lot of them didn't have the impact that many expected them would. So that, that's you know a testament for what Florida should have, uh, or at least does have, with Dan Mullen and his staff. Um, and just a good sign for you in 2020 when when um, the expectations are again going to be raised. Yeah, as you said, if you put those guys on a list, if you put those guys on a list before the season, hey, these guys won't be available. Nobody would have picked 11 wins for these skaters. <laughs> uh, probably not. I mean, you could just put like two of them. You could have put Zuniga and Franks probably. And yeah. said, okay, um, all of a sudden you're, you know, in the middle of a Kentucky game. What's your record going to be if you lose those guys? And it's probably not pretty. Right. So, all right, we'll, we'll wrap up this episode here. Uh, I know you released an article this morning on The Athletic. Uh, what you got coming up to, uh, to finish off this Gator season? Yeah, that pretty much finishes it off. But, um, you know, already going into 2020, we just caught up with some uh, guys who uh, just finished up their freshman year at Florida. So Ethan White, I spoke to him and had a really good chat with him. So I'll be working on a story um, for, on his on his season from his perspective, uh, which obviously is a great story that a lot of people are interested in. So I'm eager to write that one um, and just sort of revisiting what they have in the secondary with Trey Dean and, and Chester Kimbra and, of course, Kyrie Elam as well. So those are probably two of the most most pressing things I have on deck uh, with some more fun stuff throughout January and February coming up. Yeah, hopefully for Gator fans, uh, I don't know if we'll do a story on it, but uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be noticing it. Well, we'll be keeping a close eye on the uh, Xavier Henderson uh, commitment this weekend at, at an all-star game. So uh I know there was some drama on Twitter with me on that. Yeah, so, uh. yeah I wrote about it last week, right? Um, you know, I kind of put it out there that, hey, th- these are the reasons why he's he's considering Clemson. These are the reasons why he's uh, considering Florida. So, uh, you know, that that was 
put it this way. I went there for a reason, you know, yeah. I went to the Daytona for, to see him play for a reason. I felt like uh, Florida had a decent shot with them, but and there's been some ebbs and flows since uh, that game, but it's shaping up to be quite the interesting weekend. Right. Um, you know, Ravels had put out an article that uh, Florida was no longer in the mix. The uh, amended it. Florida is in the mix with Clemson. Uh, they they also said Alabama and Georgia, but it really looks to be a uh, Florida Clemson battle with some recent crystal balls on the twenty four seven Sports Network of uh, of uh, Henderson choosing uh, the Gators. So that's the recent news that that'll be coming up that we'll hit uh, next week on Gators Breakdown, taking a look at that. And uh, well, here we come, recruiting full bore. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, it doesn't get any better. Uh, but, hey, it's pretty much already over. But this this makes it a little bit more exciting that when you only have uh, these couple of spots left and you really want to hit on a couple of uh, these key positions uh, for a spot receiver and running back if we're talking about the Gators. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So that's Will Salmon. You can find him at The Athletic Gut there. Download The Athletic app, visit theathletic.com uh, to get all of Will's great work and great college football coverage uh, there as well. I'm, Gators, uh, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.